0: Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Have an excellent conversation coming up with a former colleague of mine who is doing uh, fantastic work at ESPN. Emily Kaplan is a national reporter and writer for ESPN's coverage in the NHL. Also the co-host of In the Crease, ESPN's NHL podcast with Linda Cohn. She's a regular on Around the Horn. Emily will be assigned to the Stanley Cup Final. The Lightning versus the Avalanche, which really looks like it's going to be an awesome series. It's got a little shades of uh, Islanders-Oilers from back in the uh, back in the 80s, changing in the guard. So Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final Wednesday on ABC and ESPN+. Emily and I get into um, a number of topics, including the Avalanche and Lightning series. But beyond that, it's really sort of about how she has processed and handled and what her first year in her position has been like. She's been bombarded on social media with feedback, including um, for some of the questions she's asked, for wearing a mask, which is absurd given that the NHL mandates it, Um, what it's like to be on television versus uh, to be strictly doing writing, which is what she did before and certainly what she was doing when I was at uh, Sports Illustrated and uh, MMQB with her. And so it's uh, I think it's a real honest and interesting conversation of somebody in their first year of a very high profile high profile media position within the NHL. I think you will enjoy it. So Emily Kaplan coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. As I mentioned at the top, Emily Kaplan's a national reporter and writer for ESPN's coverage of the NHL. She's co of in the crease. ESPN's NHL podcast with Linda Cohn. She's a regular on Around the Horn, um, a former colleague of mine at Sports Illustrated, and it's incredible. And the MMQB, I should say, and it's incredible just to see her success at ESPN. We'll we'll get into that a little bit. The Tampa Bay Lightning will be in Colorado to face Colorado Avalanche for Game One of the Stanley Cup Final. That's on ABC and ESPN Plus. And Emily Kaplan will be there. Emily, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it
0: yeah i know and you're doing me a solid here because i know you're this is a busy day for you we're taping on monday you're about to travel so thank you um thank you for doing this well, let me ask you one quick question here about the um about the series it is really like if you were if you were going to sort of dream up like a stanley cup final with the two-time defending champions you know stamp coast and and everybody, yeah, Vasilevsky, and everybody's on that team versus sort of the up-and-coming team in the league, Nathan McKinnon, Cal McCarr. Like, this is the series you would want. It does feel to me, and I know um, this is before your time. It's sort of when I was really young. But uh, it feels like the, um, a bit of like the Santa Islanders, Edmonton Oilers kind of feel to it. You know what I mean? Like this dynasty um, that exists, and then you have this young team, which you know is going to be great, and it's just a question of like, when their time is. But I would think just as someone who covers the sport, like independent of everything else, you got to be so psyched, right? For the series, it looks like it's going to be so great.
1: Yeah, all you want is a good series, right? And drama and stakes. And I think the series brings that um, even before we begin, like we're starting to get our staff productions in and I'm on this big email chain. And honestly, everyone needs to learn how to not reply all. But it does seem like everyone at ESPN is is really split and everyone is predicting a long series. I'd like to pat myself on the back, and this is actually what I predicted in the preseason. Um, I had All the right. abs beating the Lightning. I shouldn't pat myself on the bat too hard because um, I do think they were the betting favorites to make it to the final, but this is just kind of the hunch I had about Tampa is that they know even if they weren't the top regular season team, um, they know how to amp it up when it matters, and they know how small this window is to chase this history. At the same time, the trend we've seen in the NHL the last couple of years is teams have sustained regular season success. Tampa was one of those teams. Washington was one of those teams, St. Louis. They can't get over that hump in the playoffs. They have this heartbreak, and finally they break through, and it just feels like that's the timeline that Colorado's on right now. So you're so right. It does feel like Edmonton and the Islanders were like, there's kind of this passing of the torch, um, but I have no idea if that torch is passed this year or if it's next year. How
0: have you found, and again, understanding that as a member of ESPN, as a rights holder, you're going to get very good access, but how have you found these two particular teams to To deal with in your position?
1: Excellent. Um, I I think anyone who follows the sport knows that John Cooper is special, the coach of the Lightning. Um, He understands it on a big picture level of how to use the media, how to present himself to the media, not only to promote his team, but really to promote the sport. You know, I do these in game interviews, and I'm sure you'll want to touch on that. And he's the best at it where he understands no, it's not ideal to go talk to a reporter in the middle of the game. At the same time, we have an opportunity to explain something to the viewers and show them something to look for. And he's been so gracious with that. And I'm really looking forward to chatting with Jared Bednar because in my experiences with him during the regular season, um, he's been just as insightful. This is a guy, you know, who I think a lot of people after that year where they only had 48 points, like you might not have survived, but there was a reason that they kept him as a coach. They gave him an extension earlier this year, even though they hadn't seen that postseason success that they wanted Um, because I do think he's special as well. So excited to talk to both of these coaches. Both PR staffs have been super helpful. Um, It it should be a good series.
0: Having talked to a lot of people in your position in other sports over the years, um, a lot of the relationships that exist between the on-air talent and the coach gets um, um, sort of, uh, it it builds in production meetings, it builds off-camera. I remember Doris Burke actually getting to the point. She told me that, like, she could tell Greg Popovich when he was kind of being an asshole, just to be very blunt. And, like, they had that kind of relationship where um, they were sort of could be honest with each other back and forth. Um, What have your conversations been with league coaches about your role? Because, in many ways, It's an invasive role because like it's a new role. Like 50 years from now ago, you didn't have a reporter between the benches to, to talk to coaches, et cetera. But this is also how you grow the league and this is how you grow your sport. So have you had to, um, I I don't want to, let me make it open-ended. What have those conversations been like for you with the coaches in terms of them understanding what your position is writ large?
1: To be honest, I don't think I've had to do much explaining because I think they got it. Um, again, even if it's uncomfortable for them to do these interviews and give me that access in the middle of the game, um, they're required to do so by the league, and they understand why they're required to do it. So I never have had to like do the explaining of here's why I'm here, here's what I'm trying to do, because I think inherently that contract just exists. Um, you know, some are better at it than others. Like I wrote Bruce Cassidy a really long email after I covered the Bruins series, just thanking him for always treating me with so much respect, um, and I could just tell in those meetings that. He treated me exactly like he treated my male colleagues. And even though I'm relatively new to this and I'm walking in there with Ray Ferraro, who obviously has the resume as a player and a broadcaster, Sean McDonough, who's, you know, broadcasted this, that, and everything. Um, You know, I was treated equally and I I gave him, I I really appreciated that. Rod Brindamore, I actually, I've been meaning to reach out to him because he had some of my favorite in-game interviews. And one of the reasons we fought hard to do it at the bench with him is because he's such an emotional guy. And I felt like in the moment, just reading his emotions was good TV and good for the viewers just to see and take you inside there. Um, you know, we had one maybe awkward encounter for the viewer is when I asked him about pulling Auntie Ranta and Auntie Ranta was right yeah. in front of him. Um, some viewers took umbrage to that. I didn't. Um, a couple different reasons. One, it's so loud in the arena. Rod could barely hear me. I actually don't even think Auntie could hear me as well. But B, this is my job. I'm there to, you know, answer questions and explain things to the viewer. That was the number one thing, right? He had just pulled the goalie. It was like two minutes earlier. Just take us through the thought process of where you're at in the game. If I didn't ask that question, I wouldn't have been doing my job. Um, and if either Auntie or Rod had an issue with it, either of them would have said something to me at the rink the next day. Because I have a good enough relationship with both of them. I'd been in Raleigh for like a month at that point. They know they know me. and We've had those off-camera you know camera conversations. Um, and I showed up at the rink the next day and no one said anything. i answered my questions. was super respectful. And so I think that just shows they get it. And then finally I'll end with Gerard Gallant because another kind of awkward in-game moment, Um, you know, it's game six games on the line. He scratches Capo Kako, breaks up his kids, brings in Dryden Hunt. All the fans want to know about that. And sure. Is he going to divulge into his thought process in that moment at that under six minute timeout of the first period? Probably not, especially knowing him because he really doesn't share much to anyone, but I had to ask um, his answer was nope. And um, he said it with a smile and I kind of moved on and and, and let it be. Um, I would say this about Gerard. like He's one that we've had such pleasant conversations. And I could tell that there's a respect level off camera. He's just not someone who ever gives anything to media. And it, I don't think I'm any different. I try to do the best I can. I try to squeeze the most out of him. But some guys just are who they are.
0: All right. I'm glad you brought that up because this was something I wanted to get to at least quickly. I've been writing about this for a long time. Quite frankly, too long, Emily. And, um, and so, like it's always been weird to me that there are some viewers out there or sports fans out there who who get like viscerally angry at in-game coaching interviews This is not just this is not an yes. Emily Kaplan thing I know this, this is a philosophical thing and so like to me like when it's good it, it could be revealing when it's not good yeah it's not great TV but like literally every minute of your life you're going to see not good TV so I just wonder from your perspective if you've any thoughts as to why at least for some there's such a visceral dislike of the reporter within the game element and my only let's forget about like who the reporter is and if it's sort of based on gender or anything else my my only thought at least in some ways is people grow up with this sort of sacrosanct notion that like nobody is to be on the field of play, but it's very silly if you sort of step back and think about how many people are involved in every sport on the field of play who are not the players themselves. So do you have any thoughts as to why, and again, I'm not saying it's a majority, but there are some viewers who really dislike this and it has nothing to do with hockey. It has to do with the the concept itself.
1: So the, overwhelming sentiment I've heard of the faction of people who viscerally hate this. And you're right, there are, there's a group and I don't know if it's the majority, it's just the ones that you hear on Twitter often. Um, yeah. My relationship with Twitter has been really interesting the last couple of weeks as my platform has grown and my visibility has grown and I've had to protect my mental health. But that's another topic. Um, the one thing that they'll say is it's intrusive. I'm here to watch the game. I don't want to be distracted from the game. And I'm like, okay, this is literally 90 seconds. We tape it in a commercial break. Yes. Sometimes we have to go to the two box. If they drop the puck, we've never had it talk over a goal or really any significant moment whatsoever. Um, So I find that argument to be pretty flimsy, quite honestly. Um, I think you're right. I think that it's, this is the way it's always been done. The sports I grew up on, we just focused on the athletes and the coaches, but we've got to evolve. And like, especially in hockey, The mantra from the league office down to like grassroots levels, grow the game, grow the game. We're so obsessed with it. Well, the biggest issue in hockey is accessibility. Like it's a tough sport to get into. It's hard to watch on TV sometimes and follow the puck if you didn't grow up on it. It's expensive. That limits a lot of families from getting to have their kids play. There's so many accessibility issues we're bringing you closer to the game and inside the minds of these guys, introducing you to characters in the game, giving you something to root for something to look for. Again, it's a tiny window. Like I don't think any of these coaching interviews are more than 90 seconds. So I don't really see why so many people have an issue with it. I think it's really unique access. I think it's cool. No. Are you going to get a lot of puck cliches? Yeah, probably. You're going to get some, but like you said, when we hit, and like, I really feel like, especially with John Cooper, and I'm really, I have big expectations for, um, Jared Bednar, no, no pressure, Jared. But come on, let's get to it. Um, but also Rod Brendamore, Bruce Cassidy, Mike Sullivan, some of these other coaches that have had early in the rounds. Like you do get something out of it, and I think it's really neat.
0: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League Podcast. social media and sort of protecting your mental health in a second, but this also this is sort of a lead into that. The other thing, at least recently, where you specifically were sort of bombarded on social media with feedback, was wearing a mask. Uh that a mask, this is by by the way, this is not Emily saying this is me. That a mask has become a symbol of a culture war is beyond fucking infuriating, but but I will digress. You're doing this because the NHL requires you to do this. This is not a Emily Kaplan choice. This is this is a league-mandated thing while interviewing coaches and players. And again, that it bothers some people is ridiculous to me. But just to clarify, this is the reason you are wearing it correctness because literally the league has dictated that you as a person within this space has to do this, correct?
1: Yes, it's in writing. And it's not ESPN mandating me either, which I think is another misconception. Um, the NHL, you know, there's a league representative in our truck at every game. If I'm standing next to a player and I don't have a mask on, they won't even let us turn the camera on.
0: Okay. All right. This gets into like, you know, when, when I knew you, or at least when I would see you far more than, than, than what I'm talking to you now, you were a writer. You were a writer for Sports Illustrated and the MMQB. Um, and I think you saw yourself as a writer and you had dreamed of sort of being, I think, you know, doing the pieces that you sort of start first started doing at SI and long form and really, I think, got a great reputation as a, as a writer there. Um, you're now in television in, in many ways, even though I understand you're still podcasting and stuff. And while I think you have now learned that the benefit of being on air and visible is players recognize you. Coaches recognize you. League officials recognize you. In many ways, you're going to get better access because of the television component. That's just a reality of the world that we live in. The downside is that you are far more public within your sport, and I think it does lead to um, people, because they see you on the screen or on their computer, thinking that they could sort of say anything to you or that you're more accessible in a way – to them even if that accessibility is not real so for you and you're still pretty you know fairly young here how have you navigated that so on the one hand like the reality is emily it's so much more lucrative to be on tv you can make financially more money is let's uh, just be blunt with the audience like we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars more than it than a than a writer could at the same time there is a trade-off here and the trade-off is like your little your, your privacy is different especially on mediums like Twitter, et cetera. Have you navigated this? Because this is not something you probably had to navigate, right? When you were at Sports Illustrated or working for Peter King, when you, yeah, you were sort of a known writer within a small space, but nobody was watching you on television then.
1: It's been strange. Um, I am grateful. I'm someone who has been a proponent of therapy for a while. I have a fantastic therapist. Um, I've had to have a lot of conversations that are soul searching and just making sure that I say true to myself, and I can't let other people's perception of me become my perception of me. That's just not healthy. Um, it's okay to take feedback, but from people whose opinions that matter. And um, I think it's a natural instinct. I'm a feedback-oriented person. I, I thrive. I always want to be better, and I always want feedback. And maybe if I don't get it from my bosses or I don't get it from that small circle, I search, what does the audience think? And I also think that's natural, too, because we're there to serve the audience. Um, but searching my name on Twitter became probably my worst habit. Um, I've stopped recently. And what was frustrating me so much was that I would search my name and people were complaining about things that I couldn't control. So first it was the mask. Again, we went over that. Okay. Well, I'm wearing it because the league mandated to do my job. I have to do it. So that's why I wear the mask. And I understand it was distracting people from the content I was doing. And that really infuriated me because I felt like I was working hard to put out good stuff and they couldn't focus on that. They could only focus on the mask. The in-game coaching interviews, people were complaining about that. And I'm like, I just show up where they tell me to show up. My bosses in the league have negotiated this, that we all agree this is something that we want to bring to the game. You can't get mad at me. I'm just doing the best job I can with it. And then the third thing I hear, Emily Kaplan asks dumb questions. And that infuriated me because sometimes my questions might seem dumb, but it's actually by design because my biggest pet peeve, always watching sideline reporters, and I don't want to call anyone out, but sometimes I feel like they just want to flex their knowledge of how smart they are. Here's something I noticed here's some long sentence about how I noticed it. Do you agree with me and make me look good? Um, Is essentially the question. And at at ESPN, we're always drilled in lean, open, neutral. No one's there to see me. I'm just the vehicle to get these people to share their opinion. So sometimes my questions are really basic and really um, short just to get them to open up. And so when people are like, Oh, she's so dumb. Those are dumb questions. I'm like, actually, it's super calculated. You guys are the dumb ones. So those are all things that like I had to put out this tweet thread where I just felt like I need to put my piece out there. And then after that, I haven't searched my name or haven't looked at my mentions um, probably since then. I think that was about a week ago, um, you know, but there's certain mind fuck moments. Like I'm standing there at a game I'm I'm filming a hit and I see people taking photos of me, like, and it just feels so wow. invasive. Um, and just like, I, I, I guess I signed up to be a public figure. I just didn't really understand all that it would entail. And, and part of my privacy being sacrificed by that of, People pointing to me, talking to me on the streets like they know me and especially conditioned to be a writer where I could give so much nuance and I felt like I could tell, share a full story. It's hard for me in these roles because my my role is very limited and I only get a certain amount of time to speak and I don't feel like my personality can come through all the time. So I'm like, I don't know if these people actually know me. They just view me as this noun or a thing and that's really weird. So that's something I've had to adjust to.
0: Let me um, follow up. You know, obviously only... Go as far as you're comfortable with. Uh, I'm the son of a therapist, son of a shrink. My late mom was a, a long-time therapist, so I, I'm with you. I mean, um, uh, I, I could not be more of an advocate for therapy. Uh, also, by the way, all therapists should have therapists, but that's that's a whole other story. But have you? I mean, this is going to be, I think, uh, not just this is not a one-week process here. But have you? Do you? Are you going to try to work towards a roadmap? As to how you can navigate this, because the reality is, it's not going to go away. Like within hockey circles, as long as you have this job, I don't know "public figure" is the right word, but we'll just use this for this conversation. You're going to be a public figure. Um, people are going to comment on your work. Uh, people are going to comment on things that probably they would have never commented on prior to you being public, and I'm sure including like uh, um, uh, you. you as many women in the business have to deal with far more than someone like me, you'll, you'll get sexualized comments. You'll get comments about your appearance and things like that. Most men in the business never have to deal with that. And so like, is there a path where you can navigate this, where you don't want to lose obviously the, the places where you can sort of put your work out at the same time for your own mental health and stability. Like you got to take care of you so you can not only do the job, but you know, literally function within uh, a life and, and within the people who are most important to you.
1: So I don't know if I've necessarily created this roadmap yet, because honestly, this year has been a whirlwind and everything has just kind of come in a very overwhelming pace and I've kind of been thrust into it. I mean, just for context, again, I was a writer for ESPN.com. When we got the rights, I raised my hand to my bosses and said, I'd love to try sideline reporting. I think I'd be really good at it. If you can give me one or two games, I'd be sick. And then for me to be on the opening night broadcast between the benches, for me to be on the A broadcast team throughout the year, and for me, Now to be the one that's going to the Stanley cup is awarded. I'm the first person to interview the MVP, the captain, like that all happened pretty fast. And, and, you know, I think I'm just kind of trying to process it myself while also a working as hard as I can to keep improving and be safe in the moment. Because I think that's something that's kind of lost in this is just appreciating where I'm at. I'm like, I'm 31 years old. Someone's paying me to go around the country, cover hockey games, talk to these athletes, share that on the national audience. Like, that's sick. Can I just enjoy this and and enjoy this ride? So um, I understand, like, you know, I kind of talked about that tweet thread I did, and that felt really healthy just to put my thoughts out there and and give a little bit of a clap back and then peel back of how much I was searching for that input and that feedback. You know, we have this two week push left now with the finals. I'll probably check social media a lot more. I think my confidence has been built up in the last couple of weeks, just from colleagues and people I trust, um, people in the game coaches, players that I know, owners sending me texts of affirmation um, that I'm doing a good job and that um, I'm authentically being myself. And and that's the best feedback I can get. Um, and, And focusing on that, I do think next year, I probably will be a bit more strategic though, because it's so easy to fall back into that rabbit hole and let all of those thoughts creep in and then let that affect your work. And the truth is like, You hear athletes talk about blocking out the noise all the time. Um, It's really important to be able to focus on your craft, um, just to be able to focus on your opinion of you, your boss's opinion of you, and the people you're covering's opinion of you. And I want to make sure all of them think that I'm doing my job. I'm working as hard as I can, and I'm treating them as fairly as I can.
0: There's a lot of obviously very accomplished people who have uh, done sideline reporting at ESPN. Have you have you called on any of them? Uh, These women or men would be older than you to just get any kind of advice on how they've navigated the path that you you just started this year?
1: I need to. Um, And the number one person I want to call is Lisa Salters. And um, Andy Tennant, who's been terrific to me, he oversees all of our studio programming, I know works closely with Lisa, and he's recommended her a couple times. And she also went to Penn State like I did. So she's a summer call. Um, you know, opening night, I ran into Erin Andrews, who I wrote a piece about when I was at SI. She was in Tampa randomly doing Bucks thing, and she's like, "Who,
0: who did it? Who did NHL?" And she did once, NHL right?
1: back, and then covering the Lightning. And she said, "Reach out anytime." And I didn't take her up on that because Erin's so busy. And I was like, "I don't want to bug EA. I need to give her a call this summer." And I, I, I want to pick those people's brains. I think I was really focused this year on. I'm different than anyone who's come through this path. I think my background is different. The reasons they chose me are different. And I just want to focus on what I think would make, um, would make me successful. But now I realize there's so many other commonalities that these women and men have experienced that I should just hear from their experience as well to help shape me as well.
0: Last two things for you, and then I'll let you go. Um, one of the most amazing things about covering tennis for sports illustrated was when you would get a chance to be sitting in the first row at like the U S open or a place like that. And you would see how great, like the Federers, Nadals, and Serenas are. Like you think you can take a point from them, you're an insane human being. You have no chance, none. And even like the hundred and fiftieth best player is mind-bogglingly great at what they do. Being on the ice as you have, can you give my listeners just a sense of the skill level? of that sport because like it's one thing and I obviously live in Toronto now. So I've seen far more hockey in the last four years than I ever imagined. It's one thing to watch it on TV and to see the skill level. It has to be a whole other way, a whole other ball here to like see it like as the, from the viewpoint that you do on the ice where you could see how these fast, big human beings are just incredibly skilled. Yeah.
1: It's a new appreciation. Like the game is faster than ever. It's more skilled than ever. Um, I can only imagine 15 years ago, if I was between the benches or an ice level, I would be impressed. But right now I'm just wowed. And like the guys that have stood out to me this year, like being between the benches for a game that Kale McCarr plays in is like, I, if anyone could pay a million dollars to get that experience of your hockey fan, I would recommend it. He's just, he's insane. <laughs> Cause I don't think we've ever seen Connor McDavid. I don't think we've ever seen someone as skilled as him be able to pull off those moves at such a high speed. And I think that's what makes him special. And Kale's the same way, and he does it backwards, and he can keep up with Connor McDavid, um, and just looks at the ice differently. The one thing you appreciate at ice level sight lines, like you always hear that with officials and coaches. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's yeah. some, like Tony D'Angelo, you know, controversial player, but like one of the most elite passers I've ever seen. And just looking at where his eyes went and where the puck went, and somewhere different, I was just, I was blown away. So yes, um, it's been such a unique experience, and has given me a new appreciation for the sport.
0: Last one, um, you know, representation should be the goal of any professional sports. And in hockey, we have seen in the last uh, couple of uh, years and months or so, um, women getting into pretty prominent positions in organizations. Megan Dugan's the director of player development for the Devils. Uh, Marie-Philippe Poulin was just hired by the Canadians. It's a pretty amazing hire if you want a winner. Um, Emily Castengay is the assistant GM for the Vancouver Canucks. I think Cami Granado is as well. Heli Wickenheiser works for the Maple Leafs. I mean, it, it's a growing list. So there's a lot of great things that are happening when it comes to representation in hockey, when, uh, particularly for women in these organizations. At the same time, man, like this year has been a garbage year for hockey when it comes to the culture of hockey and some of the pretty terrible things that we've seen. From, and I realize it's sort of a big question, but from your perspective, like... Um, are things getting better here? Are things getting worse? Or like, is it like many other things, sort of shades of gray in, in both ways? Um,
1: shades of gray, but I do think we're improving. And I think there's more allies than ever. And I think it's cooler to be an ally more than ever, quite frankly. Um, one of the things hockey needs is to diversify. But we need the same men came through the same path, and they look exactly the same who got to positions of power. And now those men are realizing, oh, it's okay. And it, it, it actually makes me a better leader if I am more open-minded and more inclusive. I think Kyle Dubis, you know, he was the youngest GM at the time. Maybe Chico was, but he was very young. He was the one that brought in Haley Wickenheiser. When I talked to him about it, he was like, well, if we're only considering 50% of the population for this job, that's a gross inefficiency. Like, totally think that there's 50% of people who are pretty qualified. And that's why he brought Haley Wickenheiser in. I think of Jim Rutherford. He honestly is my new hero because He's getting his third opportunity to run a team as an old white guy who came through the same exact path and said, "You know how I'm yeah. going to do it this third right. time? I'm going to give an opportunity to these two women in high positions of power, Emily Castagna and Tammy Granato, who are both super qualified, and just make them AGMs. And that's the new standard. And now that he did it, it's a copycat league. So um, I think the fact that there's so many allies out there is great, and I do find that it's a more and more welcoming place to women. Um, the guys that I cover." um you know, in the conversations that I have for them, they've all been so respectful of me and uh, respectful of the work that I do and never I don't really think they view gender as an aspect of my job. It's just me as a human being. And I'm really grateful for that. So, yes, we've seen some horrific stories about hockey culture and abuse, hazing, racism, sexism. Those need to go away. Homophobia. Um, but they will go away as long as we keep being open minded as a group. And I think that there's more and more people willing to be open minded. Um, and that's exciting.
0: Emily Kaplan's a national reporter and writer for ESPN's coverage of the NHL, co-host of In the Crease, that podcast with Linda Cohn. You'll see her on Wednesday, Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN, Lightning at Avalanche, which should be awesome. And uh, Emily, it still blows me away, man. Same person I saw in the newsroom, however, five, six years ago, is now, uh, is now uh, in the middle of uh, the Stanley Cup Final on ABC. I'm really happy – for your success. And uh, thanks so much today for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast.
1: Thanks, Richard. I appreciate you. And yeah, just try to enjoy it.
0: All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Emily Kaplan who uh, gave me some time today on a very, very busy travel day for her on Monday before the Stanley Cup Final. If uh, you like these kind of conversations, please head to wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That stuff really, really has meaning. Go down the archives list. There should be something that you will find interesting last podcast before this Haley Rosen founder and CEO of just women's sports uh, really interesting business that she is growing as well as uh, a roundtable with Chad Finn of the Boston Globe and Austin Karp of Sports Business Journal we, uh, we go pretty in depth on NBA viewership there a couple of non um, sports media pods that I wanted to do a foreigner covering America Edward Keenan of the Toronto Star he's the Washington Bureau Chief and um, what it's like to cover the United States at this sort of hinge point in time from, uh, from a foreign perspective. He is a Canadian living in Washington, covering uh, or living around Washington, covering the United States. And John Woodrow Cox, the um, maybe the foremost expert in the media on the impact of gun violence on children, uh, has written uh, um, a best-selling book on it, uh, nearly won the Pulitzer Prize. And so, or maybe he did win the Pulitzer Prize, I apologize if he did. Um, but um, that was a pretty sobering discussion on, uh, on gun violence and why this continues to happen? How you cover this stuff? And uh, it's a it's a traumatic experience, obviously, for the people who suffered, but in many ways also for the reporters who are covering this as well. Um, head down to the archives list: Tony Khan, AEW's president, was a recent guest. Tom Berducci and Roger Angel in the art of baseball writing. Leslie Visser on uh, her Hall of Fame career in um, sports broadcasting. Larry Collins on calling Triple Crown horse racing. Archives should there should be some stuff you like. Want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Want to thank everybody at Cadence13 and thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.